Welcome back to another episode of The Short Game. Uh, this is the show where we discuss short video games, games you can check out in an evening or a weekend. And uh, I'm really excited this week to be talking about Freedom Planet with my good friend Nate Heiniger. How are you doing, Nate? Hey, everybody. I'm doing well. How are you? Awesome. And, of course, my bro host, Shane Kelly. How are you doing, Shane? This is Shane, recording. <laughs> and I am, of course, your host, <laughs> Reagan Kelly. And um, we're talking this week again about Freedom Planet. I had not heard one thing about this game until you suggested it, and it turned into a complete nostalgia-rama. Oh my me. god, this game came completely out of nowhere for me. Well, but really, where did it come from? Where did you hear about it? Okay, um, so as I think I've probably said on this podcast before, my very favorite video gaming publication uh, today is Polygon. Polygon does some great work. And um, so I read everything that they post. And I thought, I thought you had said that was US Gamer, but go ahead. I love US Gamer and Eurogamer as well. I thought um, it was the Nintendo Magazine. Do they still make... Nintendo Power. No, That's no, what it's dude, called. No, dude, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but Nintendo Power's been discontinued. Yeah, I wondered why my subscription ran out. I thought... In, in 1998? You thought your mom had stopped paying the bill, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I still go to the uh, public library and rent the copies that they get there. Mm, I just got a torrent of every single issue of uh, Nintendo Power, and I've been going back and reading some old ones, and they are absolutely oh, great. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm oh, playing man. some games like Earthbound and uh, things like that right now, okay. and it's really great to go back and read some of the press that was coming out about those games. Uh, you know, the kinds of things that someone would have read at the time. Uh, it's yeah. good to kind of get a sense of that. And also, they do give really helpful tips that aren't spoilery. <laughs> if you go and read a walkthrough today, they're in such depth that you really oh, man. have... What was the uh, the other... Mag it was Tips and Tricks, right? So there was Nintendo Power, and then there was Tips and Tricks, mm -hmm. were uh, two magazines that I read exclusively in 1998, I guess, 96. I never had a subscription to either. I think that our, uh, our magazine of choice was Mac Addict, mm -hmm. and... Uh, didn't get any good gaming magazines in those days. I kind of referenced it a moment ago. I don't think I had a subscription either, but at the library near my house, they had their wall of mag magazine subscriptions, and you could go and and read them in the, in the library. So I'd go up there and read Nintendo Power or Tips and Tricks at the public library. Oh, man. Photocopy all the best pages and read them <laughs> while you're playing your uh, Ocarina of Time walkthrough. Man. Yep. Photocopy? What do you think? I am a millionaire? <laughs> yeah. That stuff was a nickel a page. That's mm -hmm. my whole allowance. Yeah. Well, this is the kind of nostalgia that really, I think, made me enjoy the game we're talking about this week. Uh, we're talking about Freedom Planet and... As I was saying a minute ago, this game totally came out of nowhere for me. I hadn't heard about its Kickstarter, which really did pretty well, but no, no broken records or anything. Um, I actually don't recall off the top of my head how much they made, but I'll make sure that it's in the show notes. But like $20,000, something like that, which seems like a lot of money, but really in the terms of video game Kickstarters right now actually isn't that much. It didn't make a huge splash. And also, it really hasn't been getting covered a lot in video gaming press. Um, but Polygon did a short video where they showed the first level of the game, a little bit of playthrough of it, and just generally recommended it. And on a whim, um, 
I got in touch with the developer and we decided to check out the game and this game grabbed me like few things have lately. Like, I didn't know what to expect going into it. I knew that it was a retro Sega-inspired platformer um, by an indie developer, you know, just came out. Um, but I didn't really know what to expect going in. I sat down to play this game and I played the entire game in a weekend. And this is... This is the short game, that's what this this show is for, but in this case, it was a fevered weekend of one more level again and again. I got a little bit obsessed with this game. Now, I don't know if it's for everybody, but for me, this game really grabbed me. How did you guys feel about it so far? I, I really dug the gameplay of this game a whole lot, um, specifically because it... I mean, the comparison has been in everything I've, I've seen written about the game. Uh, is that it feels and plays like the original Sonic the Hedgehog. And uh, you and I, Reagan, have a lot of nostalgia for uh, early Sega stuff. Uh, it's, you know, what we literally grew up on. So uh, that's that's what I really liked about it. It's It's got that kind of... Some of those aspects that I feel are just completely unique to those early Sonic games, and I haven't seen anywhere else in a long time. I mean, that was my uh, experience with the game. So I, too, uh, had a Sega, and that was my primary mm -hmm. console for my, you know, my childhood. Um, and I started playing, and within the first five minutes, I was like, this is basically Sonic. I mean, there's some differences for sure. You have an attack. You can't yeah, bounce I'm going to argue of... with you a little bit on that, but go ahead. Oh, man. Well, what's, what's, what's weirder is Sonic hasn't even been Sonic in, like, decades, and, and this is Sonic. <laughs> okay. I mean, this is Sonic's, one, you know, up until uh, Sonic and Knuckles. I, I forget mm -hmm. kind of what, how, where the path went after that. But, uh, I mean, it's certainly there's differences, of course. The maps are huge. There's a lot of different routes you can take, or at least as far as I could tell. It's Sonic is incredibly linear. You know, you go from left yeah. to right. This has you going down, up, left, mm -hmm. right. Uh, you have an attack rather than, mm -hmm. uh, you know, bopping people in their heads or going real fast at them. And those are differences it has, for uh, sure. One key thing that I saw right when I started it up that I knew it was going to be like Sonic was that it had a timer on the screen for your completion of the level. And, yeah. you know... A lot. That's something you don't see on, you know, your typical puzzle platformer. You know, it's or your Mario clone because it's all about speed. I don't know if I'd call this a puzzle either. You really no, just no. I wouldn't say this is a this is this is an action platformer. Yeah. This is very specifically one thing. It's not just it's not a puzzle platformer, and it's not just an action platformer. This is a '90s style character platformer. And that's a genre yeah. that has disappeared from gaming, the character platformer. Um, if you think about that, that's games like um, – so I think that this game does draw an enormous amount from Sonic. But I think it also draws a lot from other important character platformers from the 90s, things like Mega Man X or uh, Rocket Knight Adventures, this uh, Rystar. This has a lot in common with those games. My favorite uh, of that genre that you and I played together a ton, Reagan, uh, mm -hmm. Toe Jam and Earl Panic on Funkatron. Yes, yeah, yeah. fantastic great, game. Uh, character platformer, maybe not a true great game, but really stood out for its uh, for its co op mode. But that's, you take that, that back. <laughs> excuse me, but the '90s style character platformer 
is something that I almost didn't realize how much I missed that genre. And it's hard to really put your finger on exactly what makes a game one of these. And that was something that I really did a lot of thinking at. I could take a stab at it. I think that these kinds of games, you know, what, what you're calling the, you know, 90s style character platformer, which is not a, a phrase I've heard, but I think it's really apt. I think what really typifies it is that it, the aesthetic is aiming at the, at the 90s television cartoon show, you know, like, like the, the ideal for this kind of game would be like, you have the characters that have a toy line and a TV show and have the video game. And in the video game, it's just like an episode of the TV show, but uh, with uh, running and jumping. Yeah. And the one other thing I would add to that is that usually this style of character platformer, uh, obviously you have the typical platforming, running, jumping, that kind of thing, collecting small items all over a level. But usually each character has a sort of a unique gimmick, mm. something that they can do that is unlike what any other character in the game or other games can do. And I think that's where this game really shines is that it it is a clear inspiration from Sonic, but it has that feel of almost a parallel universe game where uh, and the, where Sonic didn't completely exist. Um, so there's actually three playable characters, two playable right from the start in this game. Um, and we'll talk about the plot a little later, and that's possibly an area where we can maybe display a little less enthusiasm. The game plays incredibly. I'm... I, I guardedly like the plot. Can I, uh, so on that level, spoilers, this felt like My Little Pony meets Sonic the Hedgehog. It was a Sonic game with a My Little Pony storyline. <laughs> and that's what it felt like to me. So Yeah. Well, it, <laughs> I don't know. And and voice acting. Yes, I know we haven't, yeah. we haven't gotten to that yet. Yeah, either, we will talk it, about uh, the plot and well, the I, I have, and everything. I, my, yeah, my only complaints about the game are centered on the cutscenes. And yeah. I'm sure we'll, we, we'll, we'll just, just... I think I think reasonable people may differ on that. And we will talk about that after the spoiler yeah, break. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. Fine. But one of the nice things the developer has done is offered two ways to play the game. Like its main mode and what it calls a classic mode, I think was what it called it. And that means that you can play through the game without experiencing any of the cutscenes. There's no voice acting. The cutscenes are absent. It takes you from one level to the next. And if you're not interested in uh, in what the game has to offer as a story, you can enjoy its levels. And that is what I enjoyed of the game. So um, yeah, that might be the way to play it if you think you might not be into it. We'll talk about that a little later. The game has this really great character design with uh, two very unique uh, characters, and a third that I haven't gotten a chance to play as yet. But um, there is Lilac, the main character, who uh, is a dragon girl with pink skin or purple. Um, and her main attack, uh, or sort of unique character ability, is a very Rocket Knight-style mid-air dash attack. And it was very different from what you can do in a Sonic the Hedgehog game. It's not a spin dash. 
it's a you can leap into the air and then in any of uh, eight directions you can sort of fire off in a dash attack that does damage and goes really fast and it has the same effect as the sonic spin dash in that you go really fast and you can then go through loops and other you know, gameplay elements but it has a really different feel and for me it opened up stuff that you couldn't do in a sonic the hedgehog game i really liked that attack yeah i mean the attacks were great and you're right and and that's what i was saying earlier that is the that is the core to me difference between this and a sonic game is that you're actually running around and you're fighting something where you're you're punching it and you and there's also the cyclone attack which i found to be or this is for um mm -hmm. what's her face lilac, lilac. Yeah. yeah, and that actually was what was my primary mode of attack, particularly on the bosses. And so oh, that's yeah. a fundament, fundamental difference between this and Sonic. But the 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 way the game moves, the running, and and how you get in those chains where in like ten seconds you've spanned what feels like half the level because you got on like the perfect run where you bounce off like four things, three different springs that send you into a loop to loop. And you run past all this treasure, like oh, there goes that. Uh, whatever, and you just keep, <laughs> you just keep, keep moving because you've got this really good speed going. Yeah, that to me is where it felt identical. And that did feel just like Sonic, but in such a good way because that's not something yeah. that even Sonic is doing anymore. I've played some of the modern Sonic games, and they just don't capture that anymore. Those kind of pickups, like jewels and or, or rings in Sonic, like those aren't even really there to like be collectibles. They're they're just in this game, they serve primarily for me to just let me easily tell where I have and haven't been yet. Like, yeah. yeah. If I've run down this way, like, there's not going to be any gems left there. Yeah. I also want to make sure that I say, when I keep comparing it to Sonic, I, that's fantastic. I, I'm oh, not yeah. trying I'm not trying yeah. to, like, down, like, oh, it's a Sonic ripoff. It's great. And I had a ton of fun playing it because, like you guys said, I haven't played anything like this since Sonic, mm -hmm. and it was I, I I really really enjoyed that aspect of it. So I think it was nearly identical to Sonic, but I'm okay with that. It, it was feels great. like it could be an alternate universe game from the Sonic team on newer hardware. It's as yeah. if they had really put the Sonic team to work on a great brand new 2D Sonic style game on the Sega Saturn or something like that. Well, we haven't said it yet, but. You know, it makes sense that we did this game right after we did Shovel Knights, right? Right. Sh Shovel Knight is the Super Nintendo equivalent. Uh, NES, not Super or, NES, in my okay. opinion. I'm, I'm very, very sorry for that, uh, you know, for For, for, for shame. <laughs> but this is, you know, much like that game where it took all the elements that were good about those games and put them together and left out a lot of the outdated elements and made it feel like, I think you said in the Shovel Knights game, if the developers of the original uh, Mario games just kept making those types of Mario games instead of making Mario 64 or whatever, this feels like that. If yeah. the Sonic developers were still around today making new Sonic games. It's fresh and modern and yet still really feels like a piece of retro gaming. It's really cool in that way. I think my favorite, you guys talked a little bit about the main character, Lilac, but uh, I started the game playing as Carol. Oh, did you? And I only really got to play around with Lilac after a little bit, because uh, I, I don't know, I just, you know, on a whim, it let me pick between the two, and the green cat looked more fun. And, and uh, she has so a motorcycle. Carol is more unique than Lilac. Lilac is a lot of fun to play as, but Carol is truly unique. You know, she is, but she also has more in common with classic Sonic, because she has a spin attack. Mm -hmm. She has 
Um, she reminded me you know, of uh, Knuckles because she has the um, she has the sort of wall climbing ability. She can wall jump. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it was more once I got to playing the game when I tried turning around and playing as um, as Lilac, it actually seemed less familiar than playing as Carol did when I initially started it up. Uh, even after having spent a lot of time in the game, you mentioned the the motorcycle. That's one of the weirdest things, is that she actually when she gets this power up, this motorcycle power up, which I didn't find any equivalent for for Lilac. Um, no, uh, but she she gets a power up of a gas can, then she gets this motorcycle, uh, and it just makes her faster and stuff. Uh, she can like instead of just wall jumping, she can wall drive. But <laughs> it was such a strange. That was the strangest part of that character to me because, like, all the platforming stuff can be done with the motorcycle, including, like, hanging from ledges and climbing ladders. <laughs> you know, like... It is very strange. Yeah, like she'll it. be like... It's, it's weird, but I liked it. It was it was pretty, uh, pretty strange looking. I guess... I've played through the game from beginning to end as Lilac and only played, like, one level as Carol, but I think... It made me wonder why he didn't go with, like... Something lighter for her, like a skateboard, <laughs> you know, like that she could have held under one arm while she's dangling because she gets this weird look on her face when she's hanging from like a like a, a trapeze with one hand. And meanwhile, like apparently like holding a whole motorcycle up with her thighs <laughs> and and like gets this look on her face like she's in great pain. I felt guilty every time. <laughs> Poor Carol. has also actually three playable characters. Later on, you unlock a uh, a dog. Oh, geez, what's the dog's name again? Mookie or something? Oh, it's not Mookie. No, that's not it at all. Oh. Millie? Millie? Uh, is it Millie? Wait. No. Are you sure it's not Millie? Mika. Is it Mika? No, it's not. This is terrible. Uh, it's an M name. Well, sorry. It- apologies to the developers. We'll put a note in the show notes of what the poor girl's name is. But um, she's a different character entirely that I just haven't had a chance to play as yet. But so I think if you're into that kind of replayability because of the extra different characters, you really do have some different ways to play through the game. Kind of reminds me of how you could play through as Sonic Mila. or as Knuckles. Mila. Mila. Thank you so much. Mila the Hap. And until you said that, I would have not have guessed that she was not a rabbit. Yeah, she looks like a <laughs> rabbit, but she is in fact a hound. Um, Carol is a wildcat, and Lilac is a dragon girl. Um, I would only have guessed the wildcat, and maybe not then, because I've never seen a green cat. Well, have you ever seen a purple dragon? Uh, Very stylized, but instantly recognizable as what they are, uh, video game characters. Well, then again, would you look at at Knuckles and say, oh, look, an echidna. An echidna. Sure. Yes. It should. Yeah. It, no, or, I would not. I don't even think. Uh, I don't even think Sonic looks like a hedgehog. Look, it's Mr. Needlemouse. Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, does does Doctor Robotnik look like a doctor? He looks like oh, an Eggman. That's true. Cuckoo, cuckoo. So obviously very reminiscent of of Sonic, but there are some key differences that set it apart. And I think one of the biggest ones is the boss battles. The boss battles in this game are on a completely different wavelength from the bosses in a Sonic game. 
These are more like bosses from a Mega Man game. Yes, they are really like Mega Man bosses, particularly Mega Man X. It really has that kind of a feel. And in a way, also maybe a little bit like the boss battles from Gunstar Heroes. I don't know if I agree with you, because there were some boss battles here that were like straight up from uh, Sonic. Like, like which? The, the one where uh, there was a big giant head guy that was punching the ground under you and breaking it away. There was a, there was a almost identical drill boss in the casino level of, of uh, Sonic three. I think the boss you're talking about is in what I believe was their equivalent of the casino. Oh, the level. Mall. It was the uh, like down. Mm-hmm. It was like, yeah, it was the mall in Japan level. And the whole time I'm like, this is the casino level from Sonic. It even has slot machines mm-hmm. that you pull down. Yeah, but I, I felt like a lot of the other bosses, too. Uh, like the giant uh, praying mantis thing in the cave. That could have been in a Sonic game, like, no question. I don't know. I, I think that the the thing that really set these bosses apart, apart from their difficulty, and we'll talk about that in a second, because I actually found a lot of the, do- the bosses here really challenging. Um, but I think that they were really unpredictable. Um, they do have patterns, but sometimes the patterns are really difficult to predict, and they're just flat. There's, there's almost no safe moment in a lot of these boss battles. Uh, a lot of the Sonic boss battles had this feeling of, wait here for 15 seconds until the boss gets to the right part of his mo- uh, of his rotation and dodge a couple of maybe fireballs or something and then go attack 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 and then go back to where you're safe again for a few minutes and these really felt like you had to do a lot more in the moment improvisation i felt like each boss was really unique the way that you attacked each boss had to really be different. Like there were some bosses that were really vulnerable to the the spin attack or the excuse me the whirlwind attack, and others that were really vulnerable to the uh, midair dash attack. And there was a lot of variety. It just didn't feel Sonic to me at those times. Yeah, I did find that being cautious during the boss fights was the way to go. And if you went out there. Um ready just going right at him you die very quickly which we haven't mentioned yet just on a gameplay level you have a health bar or you have health tokens or whatever you call them um unlike you know sonic yeah another key difference from sonic sonic Mm -hmm. had that very strange health mechanic where you would pick up a bunch of rings and then if you got hit once you would drop 100 percent of your rings and you could try to pick some of them up again and if you got hit while you had zero rings you were dead and that was that was as much detail as that that health system you know, had. Maybe back to the to but before we get off the subject of the bosses, maybe the difference in our opinion of it comes from the fact that I played through the whole thing as Carol, because I basically found that for ninety percent of the bosses, all I had to do was run left and right on the screen to avoid being hit, and whenever I was coming back towards the boss, uh, do the spin attack, uh, and, and maybe like do some jump jumps and attacks and things like that. So I didn't find the bosses particularly challenging in this game. And maybe it has to do with the difference between the characters' play styles. It could be. I beat, on almost every boss, I think I died the first time and beat them the second time. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I haven't f- completed the game in its entirety, though. But that was yeah. generally my that was generally how it went for me, is I'd die the first time kind of figuring it out. Um, also, usually there's health somewhere during the boss fight. So uh, you just have to find it, because the, they're usually on a very traversable map it, it's very large and you can find a hidden health um so i'd usually die the first one and beat him the second one i found that was the case for most of the early bosses i played farther than you guys uh, i i have completed the game now and some of the late stage bosses uh, and i'll talk about this in a little bit um in more detail but 
some of the late stage bosses are just absurdly brutal. There's definitely a, a difference between the early bosses and the later bosses. Yeah. Um, actually, now might be a good time to talk about some of the things that, gameplay-wise, that don't work about the game. Now, that that's not to say that this game isn't really fantastic. I just... I I got into this game, I got obsessed with this game in a way that I rarely do. Um, I play a lot of games, but I tend to flip from one game to the next. Um, this game, I picked it up on a Friday afternoon, and I played it every free minute I had until I had completed it. Um, it, would just, it just owned me yeah. for a bit. I absolutely have enjoyed this game as well. All right. My only, it, you know, I think that classic mode sounds better than adventure mode, which was the... I wish uh, I would known what that was when I started. <laughs> yeah, we'll uh, talk about that in a second. And I actually don't think I minded the cutscenes as much as you guys do, but um, we'll talk about that when we get past the spoiler break and talk about the plot. Um, but my biggest issue with the, with the game was that I was, I felt really competent and able to complete it on normal difficulty right up until the final levels. The game is broken up into, I may be getting the number wrong, but I think it's 12 or maybe 13 stages. But the four final stages are a part of the final dreadnought. The last four stages are all, all you know, final boss content, essentially. Like, um, each stage usually is uh, a long platforming stage with some, you know, cool stuff followed by a boss. Sometimes there's a mini boss in the middle. And the final dreadnought is a sort of an extended last stage where you fight four bosses. Um, the boss stages in the final dreadnought, the game's difficulty just really, really changed. Uh, it threw some curveballs at you that weren't something that I felt prepared for. Um, so there's there suddenly you're confronted with some really really tight platforming that's just unlike anything we'd seen previously a lot of the the game you know you don't need to be super precise you just need to be aggressive fast and you know willing to uh uh you know to attack and if you don't it doesn't require pixel perfect precision and the game has a little bit of a floaty control scheme because that's the way this kind of game feels but suddenly in the last few levels you have these incredibly tight platforming that's like with really serious punishments if you go slightly off and and they're not like anything we've seen previously in the game and there's like zero checkpoints so if you die then you have to start completely over with that level Mm, that's frustrating. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty frustrating. And also, uh, the boss battles just get much, much, much more difficult. So I was playing on normal difficulty, and in the four of the uh, four of uh, two of the four final dreadnought levels, the second one and the fourth one, um, I was able to, after much really, really hard practice and memorization. Uh, get to the final boss, but not able to beat the final boss of either the second or fourth uh, levels. And not for lack of trying. We're talking about having spent m more than an hour and a half on each of the bosses trying to, to beat it. So in both of those levels, I eventually ended up uh, turning the difficulty down to the whatever is one notch below normal. And in a way, I felt like I I was being cheated. I just felt... I, now, I, I know that it's kind of weird to complain about the difficulty in a game and you know get your shit together reagan but it was just it was 
uncharacteristic given the level of difficulty of the earlier levels. Now, I have read that the developer has been tweaking the difficulty a bit, specifically with some of those levels. So if you play the game today, you may not find that to be the case. But I know I got really, really frustrated with the difficulty changes in the uh, towards the end of the game. Yeah, I mean, that's it's hard for me to speak to because I haven't made it there. But I can I can see how that can be frustrating. There are some parts like um, like the, the snake guy, that snake guy, his final form was so difficult that I think it was broken, like. I don't know what was going on there. Yeah. Anyway, I um I did turn the difficulty down and just loved it when I got through it. So, you know. He had the helicopter, know. right? Is that the final form you're talking about? No, Shane. He I'm talking about he he appears again and again and he appears uh, in the okay. final dreadnought level as well and he has a final form that I won't describe. We're not Ooh, past the spoiler spoilers. Break. Yeah. He turns from a snake into a lizard. He grows some legs. Into a double <laughs> double snake. A not double snake. Exactly. Like on the medical sign thing. <laughs> That's why people listen to the show for the gags like that. You know, <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was really great. Good. Great jests. Yep. We haven't yet talked about the game's music, which I think is another really solid aspect to the game. What did you guys think about it? Yeah, definitely. You know, I want to I want to I want to take the whole the whole sound design of the game into account because so I loved the music. I agree with you on the music. The music was good, but I thought that overall the sound design could have could have used a little work. Really? You um what did you not like about it? You got this wonderful um great sounding sound uh you know, soundtrack, you know. It it worked for me 100% especially during gameplay. And then you get into uh, times like the cutscenes, and all that gets stripped away. Uh, you've got these really, I would say, pretty good voice acting. I actually have don't Decent. really have a problem yeah. with the voice acting, but except for once or twice, there was essentially no other sound. So you get into these cutscenes, and it just feels like you're in an empty room with these characters. There's no environmental sounds. There's no like footsteps there's no crashes there's like it's it's felt very like bare bones sound wise i will say you're right that the the cutscenes had a bit of a sparse sound to them they had some good sound effects every now and then but you're right there wasn't there wasn't much underlying sound i mean the the, the like they had what i would consider kind of like basic stuff like you know it's night now they have some crickets in the background but like you know like i you could be like on an airship and not hear anything I think what was interesting about it was that that was the one aspect of the game that doesn't have a clear 90s example to follow. You know, those yeah. games, the Sonic games, for example, never had voice acting and they didn't really have cutscenes like this at all. So everything about the levels, the platforming, the bosses feels like an authentic retro experience. But the cutscenes felt like something entirely different. Um, they weren't a retro experience except for the beautiful art. The pixel art in this game is spot on. You can look at it and immediately know what they're referencing, yeah. but it's still also unique and And, and it's beautiful. funny. They do a lot of uh, references. There's a lot of silly stuff in the background 
uh, there was a billboard in the mall that just said soda with like <laughs> with like seven A's and then a couple exclamation points that I was cracking up about. Mm-hmm. It's just a gorgeous game. And in the cutscenes continue to have gorgeous art in them. But um, yeah, the, you're right. The sound design is a little weird. And I think it's because they just don't have a clear example to follow. You know, there's no, it doesn't it feels out of place in a game that feels so 90s and retro. I didn't see the option in the game itself, but I think there's an option to play the cutscenes, but without the voice acting. I wonder if that would have changed my opinion of it. I thought the actors did fine. I thought it was incredibly out of place for a game like this, though. Yeah, it was. It was very strange having like real humans with no filters because they didn't do anything to make them sound like you know, like robots or cats or whatever. It was just <laughs> like a, a clearly like a. Like a, and I don't know what that would actually sound like, but I thought the voices were good. But you're right. I, if I could have made one change, one change to the game at all, and it's a change to the cutscenes, I would have just given me an option to not. It was in this weird middle ground between the kind of text cutscenes that you'd see in a game of that era if it was going to have a cutscene, where it's press a button to advance every time there's a new line, and full voice cast. So. I feel like that could, in a way, that that one change, if they had just given it, had the cutscenes play straight through and not had me had to press a button to advance every time somebody finished a sentence, it would have improved those cutscenes like 100%. I actually really agree with that. I, I I think that would be better. I think that they just needed to trim the script a little bit. Yeah. There was so much mm-hmm. unnecessary... Uh, you know, writing in there, so many unnecessary scenes. They would have, like, let's go watch a movie. And then we see them watching a movie. Like, yeah, what's so- your favorite type of movie? And then it would, <laughs> and then they would talk about a movie. And then they would just sit there for a moment while we heard sounds from the movie. Then be like, what's that sound downstairs? And they'd run down and be like, then one and of them see would them come going back. down the stairs. Like, yeah. We literally saw, like, I mean, you're absolutely right. We saw some real, like, uh, slice of life for these tiny cartoon uh, dragons and cats. And that's where the My Little Pony came out yeah. to me. Tons of love was clearly poured into it. A lot of people love My Little Pony, and maybe that will appeal to uh, to the demographic that they're really going for here. Oh, yeah, and I'm sure that there are a lot of people who played this game mm-hmm. and really liked this element of it, or get, help, help them get attached to the characters yeah. more, which is really what you're trying to do yeah. with something like this. And here's what I think. I think this is a case where this developer clearly loved this game and put a lot of love into these characters and the world that they live in. Like this developer um, really clearly like worked on this game for three years and just poured himself into it. And you can tell because you can see how much this person like you can see all of that love poured into it. And it's overflowing. It is overflowing (laughs) with love for these characters. And he doesn't want to cut a single moment of their and th- the other thing about this is that this has that 1990s cartoon feel of there's a certain theme in those in that media where it's friendship conquers all friendship above everything. Uh, yeah. Friendship is magic. <laughs> they just all they needed was an editor to come in and trim the fat. And I would have not minded the cutscenes at all. Yeah. They were they were they were nice to look at. They were just there was so much unnecessary yeah, parts. They were well I, animated, like they yeah, had they, fun characters. And you could clearly tell that the that he really just wanted to get across to you the world that the characters were living in and the relationship the characters had with each other. But 
I got that almost immediately from the beautiful art and from some of the yeah, very exactly. simple elements of the game. They they did it in it, you know the old adage show don't tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were tell they they spend too much time telling us about how much good how much you know how well of friends they are and. Mm-hmm. When rather we could see it immediately, like let's just just move on with it. I don't need all these little fun, mm-hmm. happy, fun times between the characters. And there was also a lot of, well, what should we do now? I don't know. Let's just talk about our day. And it, it, <laughs> it was like it felt it that was, way. It did. It um, was so detached from the the immediacy of the story. Mm-hmm. Now I and will I've, say that this sort of changes partway through the game. The first yeah. two cutscenes are inordinately long. And, I mean, they really do a lot of world building. And if you're into the world of the game, you know what I would say to mm-hmm. somebody playing this game would be... characters to set up. Yeah, yeah. What I would say to, the, to a player of this game would be play the first level, which it dumps you straight into the level and you'll really like it, and then watch the first cutscene. And if you get to the end of that first cutscene and you think, this is too long, play the game without the cutscenes. You'll still get an amazing game. Yeah. Um, I and I actually had no problem with the first one being that long because there is a like I think the story's pretty interesting mm-hmm. in this game. It's it's just like the first one they needed it to be that long because they introduced virtually every character and they introduced kind of the backstory and all that and I was totally fine with that. It's it was the the ones following after that that had all this un, unnecessary stuff that I got a had a problem with. But again, I mean, I actually really liked the cutscenes. But um, that's a little embarrassing to admit. I wouldn't have played these with other people around. A- anyway, um, I, 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 I think that the <laughs> Is this play- back to the weird game about maids, Reagan? Yeah. Uh, Are you a brony? Uh, a little bit at heart, maybe. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Reagan, you could tell us. You, uh, no, yeah. We're not going to tell anybody or tell anyone yeah. like the internet. I don't know if I want our literally tens of listeners to know. There's dozens of us. There are dozens. Dozens. Of, um, but it, it, it actually kind of worked for me. But I will say that the first two cutscenes, maybe first three, were pretty darn long. After that, they really picked up the pace. And the cutscenes were much shorter. And in a sense, they actually felt like a really welcome break between the really brutal bosses. So I would actually say maybe if you can manage to get through that initial world building that maybe feels a little self-indulgent in terms of uh, in terms of setting up this carefully designed world and these really adorable characters, if you can get through that, I think the, the latter cut scenes actually are really solid. It's the first few that maybe feel a little overly long and maybe doesn't put its best foot forward there and to show rather than tell. But you know what? I played it. I loved it. I didn't care whether the cutscenes were long or not. I know. I, I keep feeling like I'm being negative about this game. I This game was so much fun. So I, I couldn't recommend And play with the adventure mode. Maybe you'll really like it. Yeah. You know? I loved it. So, um, actually, now that we've kind of talked that part through, maybe we ought to leave it without a spoiler break, because I don't think we've really ruined anything about the plot. We haven't discussed anything about the plot apart from the characters and what their relationships are, and maybe we better leave it at that. Um, you know what? I don't even I don't even need to know how this game ends. Uh, I, I just went on Wikipedia to try and read the rest of the plot in the plot summary, and let me just tell you now that the plot summary of this platformer is 1,400 words long. 
and <laughs> uh, on Wikipedia. And so, you know uh, what? Just play this game for the uh, for the fun action. Somebody needs to go and edit that down because honestly, it's not a complicated plot. I bet. I bet that the guy who wrote the script for this <laughs> game also wrote the Wikipedia page. We're on to you, Galaxy Games. We know what you're doing. <laughs> they really did design a whole galaxy for this game. Oh man, it, it's a it, it's a good plot. It serves its purpose. It sure does. But you know what? I liked the characters a lot. I did too. They're great. Yeah. They're super fun. And they feel authentic for the time. Like they feel like a great yeah, '90s character platformer. They do. I wanted, I wanted a toy of the. What's it? Was like a bad guy, General Brevin. General Green Man, Brevin. 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 Yeah, it's definitely uh, Brevin. He would just make such an excellent toy. Oh yeah, I liked his character design a lot, and I loved his robot. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Syntax. Yes, with the floating tentacles, which looked awesome. Yeah. They were super uh, I didn't cool. Know it had a name. Yeah, dude. Loved that thing. I loved every character design in the game. They all look awesome. Um, and you know what's kind of odd is I think they look better as pixel art. That I, I, I've seen a lot of the uh, concept drawings for the game, and I'm not wild about them. But the pixel art looks phenomenal. Carol's pretty badass, guys. Carol's you, great. You should, you should go back and play the game a little more as Carol. Because I, I, having tried both... I'm considering playing it through a complete second time as Carol. Yeah, the game was 100% better, in my opinion, as Carol. I don't know. But you didn't play it as not Carol, so how could you well, really make that? I gave Carol about I, I gave Lilac about as much shot as Reagan is saying he gave Carol, so Yeah, I've only played one level as Carol. Uh yeah, about the same. I, I think the reason that we all liked this game so much was because we were all Sega kids. Uh I got my first Sega Genesis. Uh, well, I should say that my first Sega product was a Sega Game Gear that our parents got us, Shane and I both, when our teachers were complaining that we had bad handwriting and some, God bless you, whoever it was, developmental psychologist, told my parents that the way to improve our handwriting was for us to improve our hand-eye coordination and that the best way to do that was to buy us some video games. And my what? Earth mothery mom finally gave in, and that she wouldn't day, even let us have a toy that was in the shape of a gun, and she swore we would never own video games because she thought they were too violent, and they would rot our brains. And then somebody changed her mind, and she bought us Sonic. This, this is all sounding very similar. Uh, my parents weren't as heavy on that, but we we didn't really have gun toys my mom hated anything that had to do with guns they weren't necessarily anti-video games because they had gotten i you know that's why we're all such wimps today because we didn't have gun toys yeah i i do have an older brother uh who he was given a they got him a nintendo the original and then i with the two of us got a sega for christmas but that is actually the last game console that they themselves bought for uh for me everything else which i've had i had virtually every console of that generation came from my brother and i saving up allowances mm-hmm. or selling off old games which is we kind of talked about in the interview with dr david heineman there are a lot of games that i vividly remember selling for oh. dollars in order to pay for a new game that i have much regret yeah our uh, Sega Genesis, which was our first home console, first TV console, 
after the Sega Game Gear actually wasn't even a purchase. It was, God bless my older cousin, Elliot Kelly. Kelly it. Who I think had outgrown it um, because, you know, this was, we got it when it was not new. It was an old console at that time. And he just showed up in a, with a box. He just showed up at the house and he was like, here, have this. And he gave us his Sega Genesis and probably like 10 or 15 games for it. A ton of games. Nice. And that was probably the most important day of my young life at the time. Um, because, you know, my parents couldn't just say no. I want to say that would have been in about 95 that we that we, we got that. Because we, we, we moved into that house when we were about eight. It was a few years after that. Yeah, I know that when we got it, we had Sonic 3 with it. Oh, so man. We're not. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You guys came in late in the game. Sure, I got sure my did. I got my Sega with, it came with the original Sonic. And on the original Sonic was a giant sticker. Or not sticker. The label was printed with like, Maybe the top quarter of it, a big banner that said not for resale. Oh, yeah. And that was the original Sonic that came with it. As if the, you know, Toys R Us was going to open up each individual package, uh, Sega Genesis package, and sell the first Sonic by itself. Well, you know, that was actually a concern. They they unboxed all the, the Sega Genesis consoles. Like, they... Uh, Sega, when they were going to release a Genesis that came with Sonic, the Genesis had been out for, I think, a year or two? Actually, a, year? a couple of years almost. Yeah, a couple point. of like years. A not, not a short and amount of time. It's amazing when you when you realize the timeline of games, it moved at such a strange pace in those days. And they sent them all out there. They sent them, they, they got all the, uh, the Genesises and took them into a warehouse and had people unbox them and load them up with Sonic games and slap stickers on all the on all the boxes to relabel it because uh, they'd taken them back from all the all the retailers. They couldn't sell the Sega Genesis for a couple of years. Retailers wouldn't put it on the shelves. Nothing, and it was because Nintendo had a complete stranglehold on the industry. The story of Sega sort of taking over the console industry during the 16-bit era is just astonishing. If you really want to get into the the history of that, you should really read, uh, or as Shane and I have been doing recently, listen to the audiobook of uh, of Console Wars. It's a pretty recent book. It's told in a novel style, like uh, like a narrative, uh, rather than being sort of like a dry, uh, like factual historical book. And it tells the story of the of Tom Kalinske, the CEO of Sega of America, uh, who when you know his from the time he took over Sega when it was a distant, ridiculous, also ran in the console wars uh, with its uh, Sega Master System against the Nintendo NES, and how he took that from nothing up to the leading console of the 16-bit era. I mean, more Sega Genesis is sold than. SNESs, you wouldn't think it today from Nintendo's continuing prominence, but the the Sega Genesis won at that time, only in the U.S. Yeah. in uh, in Asia, like in uh, in Japan, not so much. Nobody really liked the Genesis over there. But Tom Kalinske took that weird, also ran kind of strange, less powerful console than the SNES, and he made it happen. It's an amazing story. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. And he did it through smart marketing and great games. And there were some amazing games on that platform. I want to stop talking about business. I want to talk about badass Sega games. Nate, what was your favorite most badass Sega game? They were all so badass. Oh, man. They did Those... what Nintendo don't. Well, <laughs> well, I know a big one for me with uh, Sega was Mortal Kombat. 
Ah, uh, um, yes. I, I, and all of its affili- uh, Primal Rage, which was like a dinosaur monster version of uh, Mortal Kombat. I was yeah. a huge fan of the Golden Axe series. Ah, Golden Axe was so tight. One of my favorite games, though, of all time, and you guys hinted at the series earlier, uh, and I'm going to have to look up the exact name of the version of it, but it was the Toe Jam and Earl game that was a top-down yeah, view. Yeah, that was the original Toe Jam and Earl, which is, okay. it, honestly, it's a better game than Panic on Funkatron, but I didn't own that one. We owned the platformer, Toe Jam and Earl, Panic on Funkatron, the sequel. That was, I don't... I think that was the game I played the most in my childhood. I had a good friend of mine who also had a Sega, and he had that game, and we would seriously play for hours, and it was great because it was multiplayer, and you each have your own screen, and you're going through these levels, these floating islands, and if you died or fell off, you'd go back to the previous level and have to find your way back to the new level, and you had like all these presents that you got. It, It was... It was a crazy game. I actually think it was kind of like a it was kind of like a two-player cooperative roguelike because yeah. it has yeah. it had a little bit of sort of procedural generation to the levels. Um it, You're talking about again the the original Toe Jam Mineral, right? Yes. Like, I, you know, I've never actually gotten to play that. Seriously? It, it sounds so different from Oh, it's the enormously different. And it's I an consider the sequel game. the actual Toe Jam Mineral. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, See, man. The original Toe Jam Mineral was a much more innovative game. It wasn't a character platformer like we were talking about. It is a it is a completely unique game and it holds up today. Like you can yeah. it's worth getting. You can pick that game up on Steam for like 5 bucks or obviously I suppose you could do an emulator or you can track down an actual physical copy. It's an amazing and really unique game, but it's only great if you have two players. And that's really what is so awesome about those that series. I can't think of a, I can't think of any other game that's ever been anything like that. You would find this. I think it was an elevator. You got in the elevator, and that would take you to the next level. And if you died or fell off, you got sent back to the last level. And if you died on that one, you got sent back to the level before that, and you had to find that elevator again and catch up with your friend. And it, it kind of had this like you work together. You're kind of on your own. Um, it it was so much fun, and I I don't was think it I mean, split I screen. Yeah. Yes. Oh wow! It was a yes. really unique game. Very strange. It was really funny. Yeah. I gotta I gotta get I gotta play that because you know what the Reagan you and I as twins I always found it <laughs> kind of ironic. So I I always kind of thought of Toe Jam and Earl Panic on Funkatron as one of the best games to play cooperatively as twins. And then, <laughs> do you have to be twins to play it cooperatively? Yes. Well, the reason I say that is that because you guys know what each other are thinking. Mm-hmm. You think yes. Be, you know, we're thinking gotcha. how funky we are. But <laughs> my wife and her sister actually also had a Sega Genesis. Also, are twins. Also played Panic on Funkatron together like obsessively. Yeah, I thought it was such a weird coincidence. Interesting. I I play. See, I played that one. Uh, the same friend that I'm talking about, we got that one, played it, and we're like, this just isn't as fun. It's, I don't know. I didn't like it as much. If you are expecting something like the first one, it's definitely not that. I mean, I, it, it is a much more um, kind of typical platformer yeah. of the era. Uh, but it had a lot of wonderful, charming elements to it, like, you know, catching the earthlings in jars... She would throw lots of lots of incredible power ups, uh, lots of special things in the levels like the hyper funk zone or the the judging fungus. Oh uh, my god, I remember the judging fungus. That was so amazing. Yeah, 
you bounce on this fungus and like you had to put a coin into this parking meter next to it and then you would jump on it and then it would give you a score for how awesome your jumps were and you would get prizes. yeah well you had to like do like rotations and it would and you had to be synchronized with the other player because you were both doing it together and so you had to do these like aerial acrobatics on this bouncy fungus and then like a like a a judging panel of freaks would like hold up one through ten cards like it was the olympics that was so funny did you guys play uh zombie ate my zombies ate my neighbors no i have not and i've always heard that yes very briefly i did Uh, i didn't own it but we rented it oh yeah i had i I had that that game that game was awesome. Um, I think I've probably played just about every single Sega game that came out in the generation because we also, I was a big subscriber of going to the uh, grocery store and uh, where there was a video rental place and I rented a different game for the Sega virtually every single weekend. And that other, my buddy of mine, he got a new game all the time too. So played a a ton of Sega games. You know, the thing that really set Sega apart was partly the number of games that came out for it because they didn't have the restrictive licensing deals that Nintendo mm-hmm. had at the time. Basically, anybody that wanted to and could get together the money to actually make cartridges could publish a game on the Sega Genesis. And many, many people did. And while that meant that a lot of the games that came out for the Sega Genesis were crap, like there were a lot of yeah. crap oh, games for it. Um, it, it, it also meant that there were some really innovative things that I don't think would have passed through Nintendo's vaulted gates. Um, and I, I think EA is a good example. They, they did a lot of interesting, weird ports of PC stuff. Here, and... Here's an example of that. It's an EA example. I was thinking about some of my like most oddball favorite Sega games that I ever had or played. And I, I was thinking about The Haunting starring Poltergeist. <laughs> I played. Oh you my play god, that? yes. Yeah. So the in the haunting starring Poltergeist, uh you are a That's uh, Poltergeist guy, ghost. like he's a guy. Pol- Poltergeist cuz he's just, you know, a guy. He's just like but a little uh, polter. Like And it's it's a game where you're a like uh you're like a teenage ghost who's haunting a house and in every level you like wander around the house, you're invisible to the occupants of the house. But you can jump into different parts of the house. Like if you jump into the cuckoo clock, it like turns into a weird monster face. And the cuckoo uh, bird comes out and like makes a scary face, you know. And you can possess everything in the house. Yeah. And so you're a poltergeist. And the goal is to scare the family out of the house. And so every level, you just scare the family out of the house. And if you can't scare them out of the house, you get sent to the underworld where you have to, like, escape the underworld to get back to the re- real world to keep scaring people. It's such a, it was such a unique, different game, and I, I, it's one of those ones that I've always meant to go back and play again. Just such a weird game, and I don't have my copy of it anymore, but yeah, I'm a strange, strange um, thing. Do you guys remember, it's slipping my mind at the moment, but the entire series of games where you played as a helicopter pilot... Um, it was top-down view in yes. desert, uh, desert, desert, desert Strike. 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 I knew it was Desert, desert not Strike. De- I kept thinking Desert Storm. Yeah, there was Desert Strike, there was Jungle Strike, all of those. I was a huge fan of those games. They were great. I played them, I played them for so long. Also, another one that I started thinking about was the Home Very Alone. Very mission-based. Very good. Uh, the Home Alone games. Um, I played a ton of the Home Alone games as well as virtually every Disney. I don't think I ever played Disney. those. 
Oh, really? Oh, man, the second Home Alone game was so much fun because you essentially got to make your own weapons. So it, it kind of played off of the movie where he sets up the booby traps, but there'd be these parts like a rubber band and a thing of glue and a stick. And if you put those all together, you made a rubber band glue gun. But if you introduced a thing of bubble gum, it would it made the glue, but it could shoot gubble, bubble gum. And set. there was like a hundred different um, you know, uh, combinations that you could come up to make your own weapons. And since this was before the internet, um, hmm. you just would sit there and try to come up with as many different guns and, and traps and things as you could. It was a ton of fun. Uh, also, all the Disney games. I played a ton of the, like the in, Impossible Lion King game. Oh, that was oh, so hard. Don't get me started on that freaking game. Roar at the monkeys. Roar oh, at the monkeys. Oh my God, Ugh. I hate it. Or the part where you had to jump on the heads of the uh, uh, the giraffes. I never got past the second level of that. Never. Yeah, the less impossible, but still uh, very fun um, Aladdin game. Yeah, Disney's was... Aladdin was a technical marvel at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you listen, if you read the the book Console Wars, they specifically talk about that because it was the first case of. Um, Disney sort of having their animators work on a video game Uh, and it was an absolute win for Sega because the Sega version of Aladdin was an order of magnitude better than the Nintendo version of Aladdin. It was absolutely apples and oranges, an amazing game. Um, And it's still a great game to play today. It has the feel of like a fun action platformer. It's got some sword play in there and it's really just got super fun animation. Great game. Yeah. Uh, there was all the Double Dragon games. Um, there was a Duke Nukem game. Ooh, never played uh, that. Reagan, how are we twins that owned a Genesis and we never had Double Dragon? Oh, man, that's perfect. That is awful. You're right. Did you guys play Comics? Comic uh, Zone? Comic Zone. Zone. Yeah. Okay, so hang on a second. I did play Comic Zone, but I played it in the weirdest way possible. Nate, have you ever heard of the Sega Channel? I was waiting for the opportune moment to bring up Sega Channel. Okay, yes. so did I, you have the Sega Channel? No, but because my parents didn't want to pay for that. Oh, but we I had, had the jerks. Sega Channel. See, I had a neighbor, and uh, he had the Sega Channel. And this is going to sound terrible, but the kid was kind of a jerk. <laughs> um, and but not, and this isn't like this is like the opposite of like hanging out with the dweeby kid to play his video games. I hung out with the jerk. Kid. Like he was just mean to everybody, but it, his parents got him a Sega channel or got him, you know, signed him up for Sega channel. So I would go down and play, uh, play Sega channel. What, what was his name? Call him out right now. His name was Craig, which is the Craig. perfect name for something like that. Craig, if you're out there, he only liked you for your Sega channel. Well, we were kids that had the Sega mm. channel, but we had it for a very brief time. Actually, we had basically every weird Sega add on ever. And Sega, yeah. Sega loved its, hugged itself to death with additions to the Genesis. And that's really something we can talk about briefly towards the end. But the Sega channel was one of the early ones that showed a lot of promise. For those of you who may not have had a chance to experience the glory of the Sega channel. Early example of DLC before there was an internet. Yeah. And you could, so essentially you would buy a special Genesis cartridge with some memory in it and a, and a cable jack on the side. You connect it to your cable and then of every few hours, a broadcast would go out on a particular channel that the cartridge was tuned to that would include all of the data for a variety of games, and it would load those into the cartridge's memory. And um, 
So then when you booted up your cartridge, it would receive this signal, it would download the games, and you could play usually like 15 or 20 different Sega games that would change out on a different rotation. Sometimes they were games that never even got released in the US, or there were demos of games that hadn't come out yet, or even demos of incomplete games. And it was just awesome. Yeah, I still remember, like I've always loved the game Bomberman, but there was oh, man. a version of Bomberman there was a version of Bomberman that I played on the Sega channel that I've never been able to find anywhere else ever since. I remember that. I wonder about and that. And it probably did come out. It's just one of those I, things where yeah, you would find I, things like that at the time. And then because there was no internet at the time, or not really, you would never know anything about it. And then it would be gone, and it would be gone from your life forever. I was so mad when that thing disappeared from my Sega channel. Yeah, you know, uh, until now, I don't think I ever really understood how a Sega channel worked. <laughs> Just like this vague memory from my childhood of going over to Craig's house and getting to pick whatever game I wanted, uh, or you know, of the selection, and it was magical and fantastic. And I was always surprised that more things didn't work like that. It took until, you know, the modern internet-connected system to be able to have something like that yeah. again. And it was kind of amazing. You'd have to play. I think my parents only signed up for it for like three months. And it was because they had some kind of deal where you could sign up for it and you get it for free for a little while. And then you had to cancel it. And then, of course, my parents mm. did. Um, Man, <laughs> did you guys play the Jurassic Park game? Hell yeah. This, Rampage This is all edition. coming back to me. Man, that game was fantastic. Yeah, you could uh, play as John Hammond or not John Hammond. What was the guy with the gun? Um, uh, you know, the mean guy who got... Muldoon. Clever girl, yeah. You, you yeah, could you could play as that guy, or you could play as a freaking Velociraptor. So yeah. why the hell would you play the game as that guy when you could play as a freaking Velociraptor? Uh, are you kidding? He has a he has a taser. Uh, it's way cooler than being a Velociraptor. <laughs> Screw you. Did you guys? Uh... Man, I, so I just I just decided to look up a list of of Sega games that kind of sparked my memory. Mm -hmm. Did you guys ever play General Chaos? No, never even heard of it. Oh man! So I'm I'm just looking it up now, and this game I actually played this game well past the Sega's kind of death because I enjoyed it so much. It was a multiplayer kind of combat game, but uh, look up the images of it. It's kind of a, another one of those kind of top down view of a battlefield where you control like four different fighters and you, they all move very slowly and you control them and move them around the map to try to get them to fight the other team and apparently they've been trying to make a sequel for uh for modern systems which would be awesome but this is a really fun game and another game that i can't think of a modern equivalent i'll check that out Obviously, there were a lot of amazing games and a lot of crap games for the Sega Genesis. Um, I think what eventually kind of did the console in, in a sense, was that they didn't do a very good job of handling the jump between the 16 and 32-bit generations. Uh, and that was sort of represented by the fact that essentially they just sort of started releasing one bizarre add-on to the Genesis after another. And Shane and I really caught the brunt of this because we were Sega fans through and through. 
and we and consumers in general who loved Sega kind of got dumped on from the late 90s on. Um, we bought, uh, let me think, Shane, what, what were all, apart from the Sega channel, what were some of the other add-ons that we got for the Sega Genesis? We had a vest that was supposed to shake oh, when yeah. you were hurt in a video game. Have we done the right thing? But it's not place to ask. It could be our legacy. Yes, the impact on society would be irreversible. We've dedicated our lives to science. Which means that we understand progress. Maybe this is just another step. More like a leap. If we are going forward, who's going to test it? Yo, dudes, anybody got a video game? Is the world ready for the Interactor? The world's first interactive game vest that lets you feel the action. Cool. What have we done? Now that actually I don't think was an actual official Sega product, but it was like a Sega co-branded thing. No, but that's the thing, Reagan. Like it was it was designed for Sega and Sega had this sort of anything goes approach to uh games and to accessories. Yeah, the the, the vest was like it was sort of like a subwoofer you would strap to your chest and it was the dumbest thing ever, but you know, parents didn't know and they would just buy it for you right out of the box that thing did not do what it promised yeah but um uh, <laughs> we had a, a bunch of variations on the sega genesis controller that had all kinds of weird toggles and dip switches on them can i ask you guys a question have you ever played a game where turning on the turbo mode on a controller made didn't completely any sense? ruin it no <laughs> <laughs> i don't understand why that was became a thing it, it was on a ton of sega I controllers maybe Maybe on some fighting games or something. Like, if you turn that on, like... Yeah, we're going to get an email from, like, one dude who got deep into Street Fighter 3 or something. It was like, that's the only way to complete the ultimate combo. I have but never once found a turbo mode on a controller to be a worthwhile feature. I cannot yeah, imagine where that would be. It's garbage. Yeah. They started doing it on uh, Super Nintendo controllers as well. I had no idea when to use it. And whenever I did, I was like, turn this off. I just ruined my game it's not working anymore it's like it makes the button go automatically but uh presses it really fast but maybe not fast enough i don't know what's Mm -hmm. going on here i remember we also then the big one was we got the 32x 32x Uh, sega wasn't quite ready to release their truly next generation console and so they released uh, the 32x which was the cheap ass version of a next generation console that would stick onto the top of your Sega Genesis and allow you to play specially made Sega 32X games, which were a different sized cartridge um, and played games that were marginally more advanced than a uh, than a Sega Genesis game. I would say actually though that they were kind of on a level with a really nice Super FX chip based Super NES game. So they had some of them had basic polygonal graphics um, or maybe a little better handling of like sprite scaling and rotation, but none of them really felt significantly better or different. Um, I remember Shane and I played a lot of a particular uh, space shooting fighting game that I can't remember the title of. Shane, do you remember what that game was called? Uh, Shadow something. It'll be in the show notes. We'll figure it out. Um, yeah, it was a um, kind of a neat two player shooting game in which one player if you did two player you one player could pilot the ship and the other could fire the guns and that was kind of neat. That's fine. But here's yeah. what happened. Shadow Squadron. Ah, Shadow, Shadow Squadron. Squadron. Thank you. Um, it was uh, yeah, it was a really neat uh, game. It was you would kind of jump into these sort of arenas. And there was multiple spaceships. It was do- 3D dog fighting, which was something I hadn't played before, which was uh, something I really enjoyed. 
And uh, the best part was that player two could control the guns while player one steered the ship. So um, that actually made you pretty effective. And games like that, ideal for people who are constantly fighting over controllers and who gets to play what. Yeah. And we really liked that game until the 32X mysteriously stopped working. And these were in the days where there was just pretty much nothing you could do about it at that point. We'd had the 32X for what? Maybe like two, three months. And then it just broke. And then never worked again. And we went back to the, playing regular Sega games. Yeah, I think it had like yeah. a 90-day warranty. Yeah. Uh, the thing I really wanted at that time was uh, it had it had Doom. Like you could get Doom for the 32X. Oh, And we yeah. never did. We never did. And oh, I didn't get I to play Doom, Doom until it was far out of date. Yeah. I played Doom on my computer. We missed out on the, the Sega CD, which... Uh, See, I had a Sega CD. What, you did? I, I thought they yeah. were mythical when I was a kid. I had never seen one. No, and it was garbage. I also had a Sega Saturn. Oh, we did which too. Had, which had some games. Mm-hmm. There was definitely some good stuff. What were some that, of the games you played on the Sega CD? I don't even remember. I honestly can't. We had that thing for, so, for not very long. We sold it very quickly. Um... It just, I don't, I know we had one. I remember purchasing it and I remember plugging it in. I don't remember a single game that I played. Yeah, and that was the problem was these games, (laughs) these these add-ons were not cheap. Um, and parents would get them because it was cheaper than buying a truly next generation console, but they were crap. Um, I mean, there were definitely some good games for them, don't get me wrong, but they were these bizarre half measures that never truly measured up, and it, it just made you feel like you were wasting your money, and it soured me on video games for many years. We loved our Sega Genesis, um, hated all of the add-ons that came in between. We finally got a Sega Saturn, and this was in a period when Sega was already having trouble selling the Saturn, so they were packaging it with all three of the big name games for the Sega Saturn. It came with Daytona USA, it came with yep. Virtua Fighter, and it came with uh, Shane. What was the Knights. other one? Was it Knights? Wasn't it Knights into Dreams. It might have been, or I don't remember if we got. We did that have later. that. We did have that. Yeah. Anyway, it came with some games, and they were okay. But you can only play so much Daytona USA. That game gets real old real fast, and uh, even Knights into Dreams. Uh, Knights is a sort of platformer kind of sort of thing that was made I, by the Sega team, the Sonic team. It was, it was fine. I don't know. Yeah. It has a it has a real following and a lot of people that still love it today, but I think uh, mine came I purchased along with it or it came with it was a uh, I think it's Time Crisis. It came with a monster gun. I mean, oh, this Oh man. I never had thing that. Was he- it was huge. I mean, it was especially for my tiny little child hands. It was a it was a large what uh, like plastic weapon to shoot at the screen. Mm-hmm. And I bet you're playing it on like a 12 inch. Uh, oh yeah, television in the back room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one game we played the most on the Sega Saturn was Night Trap. Night Trap was one of the FMV games, which was a real fad in the 90s because there was a real idea that. Uh, that movies and the video game were going to converge into a kind of home entertainment unlike anything we'd ever seen before. And the form that that took was the FMV game, which meant that it would play video and that you would hit X to change track on the video, essentially. Uh, It was really awful. Reagan, the the game you're thinking of is not Night Trap. Uh, Night um, Trap was one that we did not own. Night Trap was the more famous one. Double Switch was Yeah, there was a big controversy over Night Trap, and our mother would never have bought us Night Trap. 
you're right. Night Trap had the slightly scantily clad women in it, right? And the vampire. Oh, yeah. Yeah, women in halter tops. Yeah, but uh, Double Switch was actually a little different. Similar style, but it was an FMV game in which you were watching the security cameras for a large building that was being snuck into by, I don't know what they were. Were they like robbers or something? And they were after, I don't know, something. And they, uh, but there were a lot of elaborate traps that you could set off. So if you This was the world's most like over home alone. Like if if the kid from home alone had grown up to build an apartment complex, it would have been this place. There was a button that would drop every floor into like a pit. (laughs) Yeah, but you could only you, you had to activate it was double switch because they had to step on a switch and you had to hit your switch at the same time in order to uh, to trap them. And so you had to constantly be monitoring a bunch of different video feeds, switching back and forth, uh, trying to catch these robbers when they happen to step in the wrong spot. Um, it was a bad game, but we had a lot of fun with it. Machine has appeared in homes across America. Double and redouble his powers. 32. Six times more powerful than 3DO. All right, baby. 40 times more than Super NES. Hey, yo, there is no 32-bit Super NES. Are we going to see the games or what? Show them! Thank you. So, it was after that that I really got soured on video games entirely. The Sega Saturn was a huge flop, and Sega essentially lost their market share that they had. Their hard-won majority share of the 16-bit era dissolved into practically nothing with the onset of the uh, Nintendo 64 and the Sony PlayStation. And Sega slid into a kind of regrettable third place. And they tried and just barely failed to uh, to recapture their position with the really ahead of its time uh, Sega Dreamcast. I have a Dreamcast today and love it, but I wouldn't have been caught dead buying a Dreamcast then because I was twice bitten and twice shy after my 32X and my Sega Saturn, and I didn't buy another video game console until the next generation. I bought a PS2. So I went spent a long time with no video game console at all because of my horrible experience with the Sega Saturn and the 32X. I went kind of the other way where I did get a Dreamcast right then. I, I had virtually all the consoles up to Dreamcast, and then I did not have another one until a roommate moved in with an Xbox 360. Wow. So I missed. So I had... Um, and I'm sorry, when I say uh, Dreamcast, I'm including, uh, I had a Nintendo 64 and a PlayStation 1. After that, I didn't have anything else until the next, next. Now I own a PS4, which is the new the, the first console of a new generation that I've owned since buying a, uh, I think the PlayStation was the last console. Ah, uh, yeah. Well... So Sega sadly had a had a tough road to hoe, and uh, they really never dug themselves out of the grave that they uh, that they made for themselves with the Sega Saturn. Now their characters just show up in Nintendo stuff, which almost feels like adding insult to injury. I don't think Sega has made a truly great game since the two thousands at the at the latest. You know, since the Dreamcast era. 
Um, and that really pains me when I play a game like Freedom Planet that so amazingly embodies the spirit of Sega in the 1990s. And it really makes me wish that that game company and that that spirit was still alive today. And in a sense, it is. But I don't think that we see the nostalgia for that that we see for games like the Super NES uh, era. Yeah. You know, no one is making, well, we saw Shovel Knight. And there are a, a ton of other games, maybe not quite as amazing as Shovel Knight, but there are a ton of other games that are imitating that Nintendo uh, 80s and 90s style. But nobody is carrying the torch for 90s Sega, except Freedom Planet. And that's, I think, maybe why I love this game so much. We've just spent the last half hour talking about how much we love Sega and how much we loved that period in gaming in our lives. And it's a kind of nostalgia that's just straight up different from Nintendo nostalgia. We just don't get these kinds of games anymore. It's games with speed and attitude and just trying to like, that was Sega's thing, right? It was a little edgier attitude. Yeah. 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 And it's a little silly because essentially what is that? It's marketing, but you know what? That yeah. marketing spoke to me as a kid and there's something different about those games. And I, I miss them. And Freedom Planet was an amazing opportunity to get back to that feeling. Yeah. I felt like a kid again playing this game, and I'm not ashamed to say it. I, I freaking loved it. Yeah, I had a great time yeah. with it. I'll tell you what I, I'm going to do. I'm going to uh, go get my Sega Nomad and uh, uh, plug it into uh, some electrical power, and I'm going to play me some uh, Sonic 3. Oh, nice. You're going to have Man. the Tower of Power on the top of your Nomad with the uh, the... Uh, 32x plugged in, and then the uh, then the copy of then the Game Genie, and yep. then the copy of Sonic and Knuckles, and then on top of that, the Sonic Three, An another copy of Sonic and Knuckles, and then a Sonic <laughs> yeah. Three. Because why not? No, yeah. it's it's just 32x's all the way down. <laughs> Man, oh, I missed that. I really, I'm trying to, I'm actively at the moment trying to find somebody that's made General Chaos online. It's got to exist. This game was so much fun. Tell the developers of Freedom Planet to get right on that. Well, it looks like they are trying to make a two, a General Chaos two with like current graphics and everything. There was a Kickstarter that started a while ago. I cannot find the results, which probably means it didn't happen. Oh, bummer! <laughs> mm -hmm. All right, well, thank you guys so much for sitting down with me to just bring alive these wonderful and horrible Sega memories. And I'm glad we got a chance to play uh, Freedom Planet. Thanks to the developer for creating this game that just absolutely owned my life for a weekend. And uh, really, I think everybody should play this. Um, how can people find this game, guys? Uh, you can, you know, through Steam, of course. It's a PC only. It is a Windows only. it is a Windows only game at the moment. I think that the developer intends to put it out for the Mac and Linux, um, but is having some delays there. Um, it is only fifteen bucks, which is a bargain for this game. You could you couldn't get a copy of Sonic Three for fifteen bucks these days, and uh, it's available on Steam and also through the developer's website. You can. Pick it up there, and I think he's using uh, the Humble Store as well, so you can get it there if you want to send your buck to charity or whatever. Um, and I, I have strong hopes that this game will someday hit consoles. I think he's expressed interest in hopefully eventually bringing this uh, to consoles, and I think that this game would be right at home on something like a PS4, so I really hope he makes that happen. But if not, you really need to pick this game up on Steam and, uh, and hope you enjoy it. 
grab yourself a stack uh, for the cutscenes and uh, yep. settle settle in for this game. Maybe the turbo mode thing would be perfect for cutscenes. Oh my god, that's what the turbo mode is for. There it is. We're skipping that's... these cutscenes. We've, we've we've figured it out. Oh, that's perfect. All right. All right. Well, thanks yeah, again, and uh, see us next week. Uh, you can catch our show on Twitter at underscore short game. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Reagan K. I spell that R A Y G A N K. Uh, and Nate, where can people find you? On Twitter at NateSTL. And you can follow his other show as well. It's called Talking About Birds and uh, you know, you know, baseball. Yeah, it's a, it's a baseball podcast. You'll love it. If you love baseball, yeah. you'll love it. Also, or if you just like the sound of my voice. I know I do. I listen to it at full volume. <laughs> Nate, uh, Nate, fi- find me a baseball game that will uh, that I can play in a you know a long weekend and uh, really get a lot out of, and uh, will also explain what baseball is to me. Um, come over to my house and I'll and we'll play the show. You can pitch as Romango. It'll be a great time. All right, sounds good. All right, and Shane, where can people find you? At Eight Bit Shane. Although probably should have gone with at Thirty Two Bit Shane because that would have been my. Uh, would have been my real era which was my season (laughs) it was our season and thanks again to our listeners join us again next week when we'll be talking about another short game on the short game